let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, the only major grocery store east of the Anacostia River is facing a theft crisis and it has prompted some big changes. Plus, we are talking about a food court, a heat wave, and a newly swimmable river. I'm here with my CityCast colleagues, Julia Karen and Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Today is Friday, September 8th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. All right, so there is uh, only one right now major grocery store east of the Anacostia. It's the Giant Food on Alabama Avenue. The people who run Giant, which is a locally based uh, chain, have said they may have to close it because they have lost so much inventory to theft. Theft is a rising thing across the retail and grocery industry. There's been these crazy like group thefts in like CVSs in Ward 3 in Montgomery County, where like, a large number of people go in and all steal stuff at the same time with the idea that they can't be caught. I think what's going on on Alabama Avenue has been more kind of prosaic pilferage, but they say that it's cost them like 20%, plus they have to lay on extra security guards. They're taking a pretty drastic step, which is they're removing all of the national brand names of high-value things, Colgate, Tide, all of the national brand health and beauty products. These are things that can be stolen and resold at a decent price. They're leaving, you know, store brand, private label, that kind of stuff on the shelves. Plus, when you leave, you're going to have to show them your receipt. It's a really, it's kind of a sad thing. There's been, a, over the years, uh, a lot of worry about food deserts in D.C., about parts of town where there's no um, grocery that you can walk to, and, and even the ones to drive to are across state line and so on. And, and the city has, has done a lot to try to woo grocers to fix this. But this sort of points at some of the other costs for the grocer. We often think, well, they don't want to open in, in a lower-income neighborhood because maybe they can't sell as much fancy stuff. But, but they've also got these, you know, the, the, the personnel costs are higher because you have to lay on security. There is a, a loss ratio with inventory. That ratio is apparently, they say, higher there, even if it's going up everywhere. And so, you, you know, you wind up having to basically make the store worse and yeah. make the experience for the consumers worse and like mildly degrading to you know have to show your receipt to prove you're not a thief etc but the sort of trade off that they're presenting is like either that or no grocery for you jeez i mean i would wonder if it's not only just like this big grocery store that's getting hit by these thefts of like tide and colgate and all these big brand names if like even a 711 in the area that might carry like toothpaste you know if that is also 
getting hit, I wonder if like they're also going to be more like, well, we got to keep Colgate toothpaste under like lock and key. I'm sure they do that. Yeah. Like even, you know, in in almost any like CVS you go to, things like the Mach 3 razor blades and stuff, those are already under lock and key because, you know, they are both small and expensive, which is, you know, a, a good combination for thieves. I mean, 20% is like actually a lot. Like that's a shocking number to me. It's it's interesting because I think part of me is like, wow, that that is crazy. Like that's that's a lot. Like why would, you know, how can that possibly happen? But also the other part is if you're removing all of this inventory, it's like, it feels kind of like the first step of like pulling out of that neighborhood, which I think is really anxiety inducing oh, yeah. for like people who live in that neighborhood because it feels like they don't really care to provide for that neighborhood anymore. Right. I mean, and they would say, well, look, we're a business that has to make money. That's an unprofitable store. We tend to close unprofitable stores. Instead of closing it, we are willing to do X, Y, and Z to keep it open. I think they realize they would take a public relations hit for for closing it. I think we've, we've had this debate in D.C., this ongoing debate about crime. We have settled, I think, on a policy where you're not going to throw the book at a shoplifter. And, you know, I basically agree with that. But I think there's people who would look at this set of facts and say, well, see, and, you know, this is, you know, the, it, this is a place where the kind of cost to the community of low-level, nonviolent crime, it pops up. It's not just the store that is denied its ability to sell, you know, Colgate. And it seems like this isn't actually a new phenomenon. Like, you know, the ANC there, Lenise Moore, said that this has been kind of going on there for years. So I'm, I'm curious, like, why, why are, is Giant drawing the line now? You know, why are they implementing all these measures now? What they say is that nationally, post-pandemic, there has been a, a big surge in uh, store thefts. So, you know, if it, at that store, if it's rising from a baseline that was higher, uh, it's still rising, and so I, and I guess that's I guess that's why. I mean, it could be they're looking for an excuse to to leave, and it's a tricky mm. it's tricky politics to leave. But the grocery economy is a weird economy, and like these, you know, the, as I understand it right now, like the the kind of super high end places, like your Wegmans kind of stuff, they're doing great, and then these like like Lidl, like the the uh, Aldi. The, the really hard bargain ones are doing great, and it's these stores in the middle that are very challenged, super, super thin profit margins and so on. So, you know, look at Giant is, you know, it has it was under local ownership for a long time. It's got a unionized workforce. They pay decently. They treat people decently. But, you know, at the end of the day, they do have to, like, make money in order to yeah. keep doing that. Does help, yeah. The one thing I do wonder is in the conversation of having, you know, other grocery store options across the river, are some of these other chains like the Lidl's taking notice and being like, "Mm, maybe I don't want to plop a store there? Or are they like, actually, like, we have a chance to make a lot of money because there's a lot of people who need to buy food and buy toiletries from us. And they're thinking, actually, like, the investment might be worth the risk because we can make a ton of money. I mean, I feel like this is a, a way to kind of help grocery stores along and help keep them in neighborhoods where they might want to flee. It's a little bit maybe counterintuitive, but but look, you have all over DC in, in, in rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods and troubled neighborhoods, there are stores that will sell you booze, mm-hmm. right? They'll sell you beer and, and sell you alcohol, liquor. 
And often they don't sell much else. You know, there's a few bags of chips and so on. What if, you know, DC's rules on beer, alcohol, and liquor sales, you have to buy liquor in a liquor store, beer and alcohol chains can sell them, but only at a couple of their outlets, mm -hmm. not all of them. If they were just allowed to sell alcohol, to sell liquor, as well as beer and wine, you know, that could also help boost the profit margin. And if the fringe benefit of that is that there's like fresh produce available too, it seems to me that's a better bargain than having like liquor sales that leverage potato chip sales and not much else. For sure. One thing I do wonder about though is the margin on alcohol also tends to be high. Like it tends to be like liquor in particular tends to be like a big spendy kind of product. I do wonder if people would go in and steal the alcohol as opposed to stealing like Tide Pods. I mean, maybe, but, but would they make uh, significant amounts more money in, in ways that enabled them to stay in business and continue to sell the stuff that people really worry about going away, which is to say like fresh produce and other things that you can't get in a food desert? Um, yeah. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so you guys, as you maybe have noticed, it's hot out there. It's been really hot all week. It's been a thing at you know some schools. This is a classic. Uh, every September in D.C., there's some schools where the air conditioning's not working, and irate parents, and so on. There's also, though, sort of on the flip side, you could, if the heat is too much, apparently, according to officials, <laughs> uh, and as a child of the 80s in Washington, it's very hard for me to say this, but apparently you can um, get out of the heat by jumping into the Anacostia River and it will be safe. What's going on with that, Julia? All right. So I think everyone has noticed that as soon as you step outdoors, you are walking basically into uh, a sauna. My AccuWeather app over the last couple of days has read over 100 degrees in the real feel category. I think the actual temperature was like 90 something degrees, but the real feel was 100 I don't love that. I'm sure you guys don't either. But what is happening is originally, at least in terms of pools staying open and it being super hot, a lot of the pools in the district close around Labor Day. That's like their firm caught off. They're like, you know what? Like, we're done. Like, people don't really need pools anymore. The Hearst Pool in Ward 3 and the Oxen Run Pool 
in Ward 8, those are going to remain open until September 21st. So if it still remains, as the meme shows, where it's like we get a little hint of fall and then we actually get like a second summer in Hell's Front Porch, we are in the Hell's Front Porch area. If you want to jump into those pools, you can. In terms of wanting to jump into the river, though, uh, which normally as a child who jumped in the Potomac, I don't know that it helped or hindered my development. But you might remember that there was supposed to be a swimming event in the Anacostia River. They had cleaned up the river to the point where it was free of sewage and all the gross stuff in it. Uh, It was the first time people were going to be allowed to swim in it in 50 years. And in a turn of events that I find like very interesting, that event was canceled and rescheduled because heavy rains and sewer construction work caused overflows of untreated sewage water into the river. So the thing that they were supposedly celebrating, which was that the river was clean, got negged for a couple of days because of that overflow. Uh, That event got rescheduled to September 23rd. It's a free swim event because it is so dang hot. If you have to resort in jumping into the Anacosta River, I mean, at least now's the time to do it because it's clean again, you know? But so so the, the, the backstory here is uh, the Anacostia was like one of the very polluted rivers. Oh, yeah. A lot of agricultural runoff from further up and so on. And there's been a long-term effort under a bunch of different D.C. mayors, under various EPA efforts to clean it up. And it is now clean. That's just an incredible, incredible change. The irony, I guess, that it was like their their inaugural swimming party was like blown off course by like rains that are part of like the next environmental crisis. Uh, oh yeah, but but it's such that's just a huge thing. It's wild that like again, like I grew up swimming in the Potomac and we thought that was gross. I cannot imagine growing up next to the Anacostia and being like and seeing the transformation from like literal sewage dumping ground to like actually swimmable water. So. Head to Kingman Island, let's go swim in the Anacostia, maybe, possibly. That said, if you were wondering and hoping for fall and hoping, like, you know what, maybe I can just go, like, leaf peeping or whatever, the answer is no, (laughs) because it is so hot out, it actually might affect how our foliage looks. Apparently, because we're in a drought right now, we're going to talk about that on Monday's episode, apparently, if all of the dry conditions that we've got persist and extend further into September, more of the trees in the area are going to lose their leaves earlier before they've gotten a chance to like turn those shades of orange and yellow and red that we really, really like. Uh, Basically, the leaves might not reach peak bloom, so we might be sacrificing our leaf peeping season because it's so dang hot. And I cannot abide that. Really lose-lose all around here, honestly. You thought it was going to be like, you know, sad girl autumn. It's going to be sad girl autumn if I can't go leaf peeping. It's going to be hot girl autumn because it's going to be sweating in my apartment. Yeah, I think the city is keeping the spray parks open as well until late September and all the cooling centers remain open. So, yeah, definitely take advantage of that. Yeah. All right. So you guys went uh, this week to The Square, which uh, was once known as International Square. And it was like a kind of lame indoor downtown mall with, you know, not much. And it is now uh, DC's newest food hall, which uh, a food hall for the uninitiated is like a food court that you may remember from your neighborhood mall, but it's like a food court that's like gone to college or like gone on like the grand tour or something, which is to say it's like a place with a bunch of restaurant spaces, food court style, but that are t- tend to be like creative 
and envelope pushy and chefy and interesting. Anyway, this place is like right on K Street in like kind of the most disheartening part of downtown uh, Washington, but it's gotten pretty good reviews. I don't know if you share those good reviews. What do you all say? Yeah, so we went and checked it out on opening day. Uh, it sits right in the middle of downtown, like right by all of the law firm office buildings. Um, it's going to open in phases, right? So this is the first phase. So right now, there's actually only six vendors that are open. And then there's like a bar in the middle that's like a sort of a high top bar. Um, it's actually, it's a huge space. It like takes up, like you said, the entire sort of bottom floor of this office building. And they're actually going to be only open for lunch for this first phase. So only open on weekdays from 11 to 3. So it's a little bit limited hours, but they're going to be extending to weekends and to dinner service in coming months. They're going to be adding more stalls. They're going to be adding more formal dining options, like sit-down dining options. Um, and the whole thing is kind of this brainchild of Richie Brandenburg, who opened Union Market, and also Ruben Garcia, who has been the creative director for the Jose Andres sort of group. So there's some like pretty big chefy names behind the whole thing. And we literally tried food from every single vendor that was open. Two of them were not open when we were there. Those were Takaria Sochi and Yaocho, which is like a Asian fried chicken joint. Um, so we tried pretty much everything else and we thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I think the vibe for me kind of gave like a more of like a mall food court vibe than like a union market vibe. It was very much... Felt you mean aesthetically? Aesthetically, oh, yeah. yeah. It was like a little bit more uh, formal, felt like a bit like a hotel lobby almost. Uh, the food stalls were sort of all lined up against the sides with like these, you know, cafeteria style round tables in the middle. It didn't have quite like the hustle and bustle that Union Market does or like that I sort of anticipate from one of these food halls. Maybe it's because most of the people coming were, you know, office workers coming for lunch. They're not like tourists. They're not, you know, like people on dates or something like that. So it gives a very different feel to the place. What did you think, Julia? All right. So if you remember going to the mall as a 13-year-old and just hanging out in the food court, this is like 13-year-old, your 13-year-old dream come true. Totally. Right? Because it's all of the stuff that you actually want but kind of grown up. I was personally a big fan of the fact that Cashin's Rendezvous, which is the brainchild of Anne Cashin, who ran Cashin's Eat Place in Adams Morgan, rest in the most peace, uh, is open there. And the oysters there, like, on They're a so hot, good. gross day, surprisingly good. I was not expecting oysters yeah. in as basically, like, a food court area to be that good. And yet, here we are. Yeah, no, I think it's a great option for lunch. I think some of the prices ran a little bit on the higher side for a, a, a food stall, like, you know, like $17, $19 a plate. And there's also the other sort of contradiction here is that there's a lot of a lot of really good lunch places in that area already, right? There's like mm. Grazi Grazi. There's, I mean, there's like, there's tons of different little like mom and pop like sandwich places. So it actually does have some competition in terms of like getting downtown office workers there. Um, but, but we actually talked to Richie and he said that he wanted the place to be more of a destination, right? So it wasn't 
just for office workers downtown. He wanted to be like drawing people there, just like Union Market draws, you know, huge crowds on the weekends. Like that's the goal for this place. But for the time being, it's open from 11 to 3 on weekdays. Right. So right now it seems limited. We ain't there yet. Absolutely. And and I guess like I mean this is the 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 big question that I guess they're successful like rise and fall on, which is, you know, not just are, you know, office workers in the least hip part of central Washington likely to be willing to pay 18 bucks to have a chefier lunch from their office. But like, are there enough of them? I mean, this is also this is also the epicenter of the kind of downtown bust of if you go to K or L Street in the middle of a weekday, it does not look like it did before the pandemic. There's just noticeably fewer people. Maybe more people will come if they have better options for making an exciting day of it. But do, do you guys think that that this place is going to be able to get the traffic it takes to keep itself going? It's interesting. I you know I think there's going to be plenty of traffic from you know, just people who work there, right? Like it's literally in an office building, you know, like there's going to be crowds, but I am curious whether it's going to be enough of a draw to like get people who don't come to downtown to come there, right? To like take the Metro down and go somewhere that like, I mean, I haven't been on K Street in like an embarrassingly long amount of time until yesterday. Cause like I live in Adams Morgan, like everything I do is like, either north or east, like nothing is downtown. I think for a lot of people who actually live here, unless they happen to work in that neighborhood, they tend to avoid that neighborhood, you know? And so it's it's like a place for like your like dermatologist appointment and or your office job and not much else. I think my big takeaway from this is probably going to be for the people who work downtown, I think this is kind of going to be a bit of a boon. Like how many sweet green salads and chopped salads can you have before you're kind of slowly losing your mind? I think if people want like a treat at work, this is going to be a treat at work. But in terms of grabbing people beyond like back to office workers, I think they're going to have to work really, really hard to draw those people in. And maybe they will. I mean, they have that bar area, which like if you go to a chopper sweet green, they don't really have that. It's obviously offering a different thing, but I think they're going to have to really work to get those people. I mean, it's great to see. I think this is the right idea if you want to bring people downtown, right? It's a good it's a good try. So if this doesn't work, I'm not sure what will. And they are going to be opening a bunch of new things later this fall, including like pizzeria, um, like a new sushi restaurant, like an entire like market area. There's going to be a, a restaurant by Ruben Garcia, Casa Teresa next door. So they're going to be expanding hours. So I'm very excited to see where this all goes. We might have to go back, you know, for another <laughs> another little taste test. See you there for, for that <laughs> taste test. Yeah, I'll see you there. I'm very much looking forward to getting my sushi downtown. Let's do it. Awesome. Julia and Kayla, thank you guys for being here. Thanks, Mike. Bye. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, shout its name while doing a cannonball into the Anacostia. We will be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. If you enjoyed the show, oh no, why do you always do that to me?